Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Webcast Series held on January 15, 2019. Your New Year's resolution, learn about the Sections 245A and 267A regulations. The panelists for the webcast were Bernard Mones, a PwC tax partner and our Global International Tax Services Leader and International Tax Services U.S. Inbound Leader, Rebecca Lee and Marty Hunter, both PwC tax partners in our International Tax Services practice, as well as Nils Cousins, a director in our International Tax Services practice. This excerpt consists of a general discussion among the panelists of the general rules of the proposed regulations under Section 267A, as well as a deeper discussion on disqualified hybrid amounts. Have a listen. So maybe we'll switch gears a little bit and talk about 267 Cap A. Sure. Thanks, Rebecca. So 267 Cap A, similarly to the 245 Cap A E rules that Marty just talked about, it comes out of the response to the OECD BEPS anti-hybrids. Uh, but this is sort of, I think, the inverse, uh, the inverse companion uh, section to the 245 Cap A disallowance. Whereas 245 Cap A would apply to deny uh, the US DRD where there is a foreign law deduction for something we see as equity, what 267 Cap A does is it would deny a US taxpayer a deduction for a payment of interest or royalties that, that the US treats as interest or royalties, but that the foreign law sees as something else or that's paid uh, by or to a hybrid entity in such a way that there is no corresponding income pickup in a foreign tax law. And so Section 267 Cap A, the statute, uh, I'll go through that a little bit first, it applies to a payment that is made pursuant either to a hybrid transaction or made by or to a hybrid entity to the extent that there is no income inclusion by the foreign related party under the tax laws of that party's country of tax residence or if the related party is allowed a deduction with respect to that amount under the tax law of its uh, country of tax residence. And so it only applies under the uh, statute to payments that are paid or accrued to a related party, and the statute contains an exemption for any payments to the extent that um, while there's no inclusion in the foreign tax law, there is a subpart F pickup in a U.S. shareholder's uh, uh, tax. And so. The proposed regulations uh, that were just issued on December 20th, 2018, uh, provide the first set of comprehensive rules uh, that, uh, that apply to these regulations and that try to uh, explain how they, how they work. And they are a comprehensive set and they provide the exclusive circumstances in which a payment will subs- uh, potentially be disallowed. And so that what that really means is that you look at the proposed regulations and if you're not caught by the proposed regulations, you don't then have to also go back to the statute to see, that, to see if it could potentially apply in different ways to disallow a deduction even though the proposed regulations wouldn't. And so there are three types of transactions that will potentially give rise to a denial of a deduction in these proposed regulations. And we'll unpack each of those a little bit here. And we'll have disqualified hybrid amounts uh, there are disqualified imported mismatch amounts, and then there are anti-abuse rules as well. So under the statute, um, we've got so, sort of the definition of hybrid transactions and hybrid entities, right? And um, I'll do a hybrid entity first because it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's any entity that the U.S. would see as opaque and a foreign tax law would see as transparent or vice versa. 
And then under the statute, hybrid transaction is any transaction that from a U.S. tax perspective would be treated as giving rise to a payment of interest or of royalties, but for foreign law tax purposes, the uh, item of income is seen as something else. So that's the statute. The proposed regulations, I think, depart a little bit from the vocab that's used in the statute. Um, and so they apply a little differently. The first thing to note in the proposed regulations, I think, is that the definition of interest and the definition of royalties are both quite broad, uh, especially interest. Uh, similarly to what we saw in the proposed Section 163J regulations, uh, is, is defined to include not only uh, amounts uh, that are just pure interest for U.S. tax purpose, but it could also include uh, amounts that are paid or received in connection with repos. It can include uh, debt That's issuance interest costs. anyway. <laughs> it is, right. Um, but um, uh, debt issuance costs, things mm -hmm. like that, commitment fees, all of those would be in the definition of interest potentially. And if you want to see us talk about that definition and sort of uh, the concerns regarding the breadth of the language, you can also check out our a replay of our 163J webcast, which covers the issue in depth. Yeah. So in, in, in going through how the regulations really operate, so the first thing is that they generally apply only in a related party context, as does the statute. Uh, but there are some special rules where they could apply even in an unrelated party context if the transaction is a structured transaction. Um, another thing that's important is they only apply to payments by what the regulations call a uh, specified party. And a specified party is a U.S. corporation, uh, could be a U.S. taxable branch, so think of a foreign taxpayer that has a U.S. trader business or a U.S. permanent establishment to the extent that it's under a treaty standard. And it can also include a CFC, but only if that CFC has at least one direct or indirect 10% U.S. shareholder. And so what that means is that while under the statute itself, these regulations could have been very, very broadly applicable to CFCs, uh, in your standard inbound structure, uh, the limitation on what's a specified party uh, with respect to CFCs that don't have direct or indirect U.S. shareholders substantially limits how far these rules are going to apply uh, in the CFC context. And so the regulations set up a concept of a deduction no inclusion, or as the regulations say, D slash NI. And they only apply, uh, six, Section 267 can only apply to the extent that there is a no inclusion amount with respect to a deductible payment. And so for this purpose, a tax resident or a taxable branch is considered to include a payment in income to the extent that under its tax law, the payment is included in its income or tax base at the full marginal rate that's imposed on ordinary income, and the payment is not reduced or offset by certain items, such as exemptions or credits, that are particular to that payment. There are a few exceptions. Um, as I already said, Section 267 Cap A already provides that if the payment is picked up in subpart F income of a U.S. shareholder, then it's not subject to disallowance. The proposed regulations expand that, and they expand the subpart F exception to deal with any amount that's, uh, for guilty purposes, picked up in tested income of a U.S. shareholder. And they also uh, have an exception for any item of income that's included in gross income uh, by a U.S. tax resident or a U.S. taxable branch, so anything that the U.S. would actually uh, tax. However, there is no 
exception for amounts that are subject to U.S. withholding taxes. So the fact that on the outbound payment of interest or royalties, there is a 30% withholding tax imposed, you could still be in a situation where you could lose your, uh, your U.S. deduction with respect to that payment. I think Treasury has asked for comments to see if that's really the right answer, right? At yes. The, at the end of the day? Yes, so. exactly. And, and one point, by the way, on the subpart F and guilty exceptions, mm -hmm. which I think is relevant to BEAT, in BEAT you have an uh, exception for withholding tax imposed, mm -hmm. but no exception for subpart F or, or guilty inclusions. And I think the preamble there said, well, you know, tr doing the subpart F exception would just be too complicated. But yet here we do have it. So I think a lot of taxpayers are going to have to be tracking that anyway. Yes, that's right. So, <clears throat> all right, so we've got an anti-avoidance rule um, that is somewhat limited. Uh, it can apply when a specified party's deduction uh, for a specified payment, uh, specified payment it will be disallowed to the extent that the payment is not included in the income of a tax resident or taxable branch, and the principal purpose of the plan or arrangement is to avoid the purposes of the 267 Cap A regulations. And then uh, before we get sort of into the meat of how these rules work, I'll talk a little bit about the effective dates. And it really goes in, in two different directions. And first, there are certain parts of these proposed regulations that are effective for tax years that begin after 1231.17. So that's uh, retroactive to the effective date of the statute itself. However, Section 267 Cap A also has a fairly broad grant of regulatory authority under which IRS and Treasury are allowed to expand the reach of 267 Cap A to deal with uh, sort of branch structures, to deal with potential uh, conduit type structures. And these proposed regulations do take Congress up on that grant of regulatory authority, but the, uh, the sort of expansion of the statutory rules in these proposed regs generally are only prospectively applicable. So the effective date for those is tax years beginning on or after December 20th, 2018. It's a good opportunity to hit another polling question. Mm -hmm. So polling question two, which of the following is not a no inclusion outcome with respect to an interest payment made by a U.S. corporation? Uh, for folks taking the polling at home uh, or in your office, the correct answer will pop up um, as enough folks have answered the polling question that we can sort of provide the uh, response as well as sort of what folks picked. Um, you know, Bernard, one of the things while folks are looking at this polling question, mm -hmm. um, given your global role, what are we seeing across the network in terms of how our hybrid regime kind of aligns or doesn't align with mm -hmm. the regimes in other jurisdictions? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a study uh, uh, all across the globe where all rules are probably slightly different. Uh, certainly in Europe, there is a, there is a search for consistency uh, through ATAD or ATAD2 to be more specific. Uh, they're seeking to, uh, just like us, to you know, put the, the, the policies of the OECD under um, uh, Action 2 uh, into practice. And uh, as we'll see as we go through the actual meat of the, of the regulations here, uh, you know, in some cases we're tracking it, in some cases we actually are going beyond it. So um, that's one point. The other point is, um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the rules in our in in the other jurisdictions have have coordination rules. What mm -hmm. happens if the U.S. disallows a deduction? Then a different set of anti-hybrid rules will apply that you know perhaps would you know not in, not not res result in an inclusion as opposed to a non-inclusion of the of the corresponding mm -hmm. item. So uh, I think there's going to be a lot of 
you know, a lot of work that needs to be done to figure out exactly what the impact is of our hybrid rules where the other jurisdiction also has an anti-hybrid regime. And certainly sounds like there'll be a little bit of kind of trying to beat the circularity of if you've got a, a set of regs or a set of rules that take mm -hmm. a, that sort of restore or give you a no inclusion answer if they take away the deduction and vice versa, mm -hmm. you sort of have to do chicken or the egg to exactly. see which one applies first. Just fascinating stuff. Uh, Nils, can we turn back to you to kind of go through a little bit more of the uh, meat of the regs? Sure. Um, so we've got, I think, the operative provisions of the regs, the, the rules that could disallow a uh, potential deduction are mostly in the Dash 2 proposed reg and then also in the Dash 4 proposed reg. And the Dash 2 proposed reg uh, addresses disqualified hybrid amounts. And those are amounts where you're going to be denied a deduction uh, to the extent the uh, item of income is a, is a deduction, no inclusion amount. And there are really five particular rules that can apply. I'll go through the first couple and then Bernard will address the, uh, the last few. And so the, the circumstances in which this Dash 2 reg can, uh, can disallow a deduction are hybrid transactions, disregarded payments, reverse hybrid entities, and then there are also two rules dealing with uh, branch structure, disregarded uh, branch payment rules and branch mismatch payments. And so hybrid transactions, that's really sort of the basic operative rule. And what the rule is that any specified payment, so an interest or royalty payment, uh, that's made pursuant to a hybrid transaction is generally a disqualified hybrid amount to the extent the specified recipient does not include the payment in income. And so that raises the question, of course, what's a hybrid transaction? And a hybrid transaction is really any transaction pursuant to which uh, the U.S. would treat the payment as a payment of interest or payment of royalties. But the other, uh, the other jurisdiction would treat the payment as something different, and something different for which there's not a corresponding income inclusion. So you know, our classic example that we think of is the other country treats the payment as a uh, payment with respect to equity, and it provides a participation exemption mm -hmm. with respect to that payment. But I think something that's really important to note here is that it is not necessary that the other jurisdiction treat the instrument as something other than debt. There are circumstances mm -hmm. in which even if the instrument is treated as debt for both purposes, the US and the other tax law, you could have a disqualified hybrid amount. And so two examples of that are uh, where the US treats something as a interest payment, whereas the other jurisdiction treats it as a return of principal. That's a disqualified hybrid amount. Another thing that's a disqualified hybrid amount is a significant timing mismatch. And there's a specific rule that says if on the income inclusion side, the payment is not included um, until a tax year that, that begins more than 36 months after the end of the tax year in which the payor gets a deduction, that's also a disqualified hybrid amount and that's subject to uh, disallowance. And so a simple example on the slide here, uh, we have FX owns uh, US1, a wholly owned US sub. And um, FX holds an instrument that's issued by US1 that country X treats as equity and country, and country Y being the US would treat as debt. So we have a $50 payment that we treat as interest that we potentially allow a deduction for, but country X gives a full participation exemption uh, with respect to that payment. And so there's no income inclusion in country X at all with, with respect to that payment. And in that scenario, uh, we would deny the deduction under our uh, Section 267 Cap A. 
Uh, one other point to make there is if the participation exemption were to be a partial participation exemption, for example, a reduction in the regular tax rate uh, that's applicable to, uh, to ordinary income of, say, 80%, uh, then we would deny 80% of that deduction. And that, that rule is subject to a de minimis and a full inclusion rule, but that's basically how we uh, deal with that. So that's the uh, disqualified, uh, that's the uh, hybrid transactions. And so the next rule is a rule that addresses disregarded payments. And the picture on the slide, I think, is sort of the, uh, the classic example. FX owns US-1. For US tax purposes, uh, we treat US-1 as a corporation. And country X would treat it as a disregarded entity. So what we sort of classically like to think of as a, as a domestic reverse hybrid. And so in this example, you see US-1 just making a payment of interest to country mm -hmm. X. But because US-1 is disregarded for country X tax purposes, country X just doesn't see a payment and it therefore doesn't pick up the $100 in income. And so under this rule for disregarded payments, that $100 is also potentially subject to disallowance. We do, however, have an important limitation on the application of this rule with respect to disregarded payments. And the limitation is that we are only going to deny the deduction to the extent that the $100 payment exceeds US-1's dual inclusion income. And so that, you know, what is dual inclusion income? That's essentially net income of US-1 that will be double taxed both by country X and by, uh, and by the United States. So in this example, assume that uh, other than this $100 payment that country X doesn't see, US-1 also has $125 of gross income from other uh, gross income and a $60 deductible expense from other sources. And if you assume that uh, for country X tax purposes, both that $125 of income and the $60 of expenses are uh, included in uh, country X taxable income of FX and our deductible on the deduction side, then you'll see that really there's $65 of income here uh, that both the US and country X would be taxing. And so to the extent that you have that $65, we are not going to disallow the $100 of the deduction. So in this, in this example, um, only $35 of the $100 payment will actually be uh, denied a deduction under these rules. And so that gets us into the other things, reverse hybrids, and maybe I'll ask you to take over. Sure, sure, thank you, thank you. And uh, you know, uh, the regs are here to uh, perhaps mildly confuse you because Nils's example <laughs> talked about a uh, domestic reverse hybrid, which was the was US one on its on his picture, um, and now we're going to talk about reverse hybrids, which is really the exact opposite. Uh, so, uh, if you're if you're a student of the domestic reverse hybrid rules, then you will be very confused by all this, and hopefully we can get set set you straight. Here, <laughs> he, here the example really deals with payments to reverse hybrids, and reverse hybrid for this purpose is an entity that is treated as transparent in its jurisdiction, but non-transparent in the interest holder's jurisdiction. So which is the exact opposite, really, from uh, what we have in our domestic reverse hybrid rules. Uh, and, and the easiest way to explain this would be to look at the example on the slide where FX owns US1 and, and FY. US1 makes a deductible payment of interest or royalties to FY. Now, FX uh, does not include that income uh, on, its, uh, on its return. It just doesn't see it because it treats FY uh, as opaque. And because it, it's, and to the extent that it is uh, not including it because of the hybridity, the U.S. doesn't, doesn't really get a deduction. 
Um, now, I, I, I want you to think about that example, or at least park it until we talk about the imported hybrid mismatch rules, because while this example you know, certainly does you know, occur from time to time, I think you will more likely see it in the context of imported mismatch arrangements. So when we go to the next slide, we'll, we'll talk a bit about uh, the last category of disqualified hybrid amounts, and these deal with, uh, with branches. Uh, in the first one, I want you to imagine that, um, that I've got a U.S. Uh, branch, uh, a real singing and dancing branch, branch lots of operations, uh, and it is held by a treaty uh, resident um, entity. And uh, that, that entity um, exempts the income uh, from the U.S. branch under its domestic law and under the treaty. And um, for U.S. purposes, under a number of treaties, when the U.S. computes the income that is attributable to the PE, to the branch, there are a number of deductions that it can take into account. Now, when it does that, it is very possible that under the local jurisdiction, uh, local law jurisdiction, the local law jurisdiction just doesn't see that income, mm -hmm. or doesn't see the income because it's, a, it's just disregarded. A branch is just an extension of the head office. And uh, what the regulations here say is that this deemed branch payment, this deemed deduction, or this actual deduction that, that we're seeing but that the head office doesn't see, is a disqualified hybrid amount, and we actually will not uh, give you a deduction for that. And that's, that's a, bit of a, it's a bit of an extension. Uh, I think it's something that was not entirely um, expected, but at the same time, uh, I, I think Treasury had its reasons for including this, this uh, provision. Uh, the second one, uh, the branch mismatch payment category, that is one that is more narrowly targeted uh, at uh, disallowing deductions for payments that the U.S. is making to a branch of a non-U.S. person where the head office exempts the income that is earned by the branch. And when you go to the next slide, uh, you will see an example of this. Here we have U.S. one making a payment to a branch of FZ. Uh, FZ exempts the income, the interest income from US1. Uh, and you know, if BB, the, the, the branch here, is, is not taxed, that definitely results in a deduction in US1, but no inclusion on the other end. And as a result, uh, the, the, the regs reach the much anticipated result that the US1 will lose the deduction for the $50 it pays to, uh, to the branch. Looking at the last example um, around sort of USPEs and similar, you know, Nils, do these regs and sort of the implementation of them raise any concerns with their interaction with our treaty network? Yeah, I, I think they do actually. And, you know, it's interesting. There's a similar rule actually, again, in the BEAT regulations that would cause a deemed mm -hmm. branch payment to be uh, an add back for BEAT purposes. And I think that's been pretty much criticized as potentially overriding our obligations under income tax treaties. But, you know, you can always argue, well, it's an alternative tax, we could do this. Here, what's really happening is an income tax treaty tells you that a PE can uh, compute its deductions on a sort of deemed separate enter enterprise basis. And this rule, you know, it almost seems to say that because the treaty tells you that we're going to give you a deduction, we're actually going to deny you the deduction. And so mm -hmm. I think that brings up some concerns. That said, you know, given the fact that we've got these rules on disregarded payments that I talked about earlier, um, you know, this kind of gets at a, a similar type of scenario where you wouldn't have a dual inclusion income. And so it, I, I understand why Treasury, if they thought they were going to have a disregarded payment rule, uh, would add this rule as well so you couldn't just do an end run around that rule by mm -hmm. using branches. Right. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
If you would like more information about this topic, please email the speakers. Their email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you.